So, I was on a call on Friday, and it was to Professor John Patsavallis. <laughs> I've never met the man. He's a Greek, but I've met him on Zoom many times. And we were, he's a client, and we were killing time waiting for someone else to come. And um, he said, so what happens next for you? This is on Friday. So I've got another Zoom at two o'clock. It's with Burma. Really? So I said, yeah, actually, I'm a, an elder in a church and have some responsibility for our churches. His whole demeanor lit up. <laughs> and he said, you're a Christian. I am too. And we then con uh, continued to compare notes on what we had in common. One of the things that um, we had in common was the the difficulty in our time and circumstances to make a stand for principles that come with the territory of being a Christian. And he's a senior guy at Cranfield University. And um, we were just kind of very simply comparing notes about the, the specialness of being in Christ, being brothers in Christ, something that we hadn't appreciated before. But also the challenge of uh, following the Lord Jesus as his disciple. Our subject, the church, the body of Christ, for the next several weeks is about the amazing relationship that we have with Christ because of what he's done and that we have with fellow Christians who are in Christ. I kind of, in my exploration, scribbled down uh, something that I want to get out of it. Uh, in the study and listening to other people um, share ministry on it too. The Church of the Body of Christ, the ultimate fulfilment of the purposes of God in time and from eternity to eternity for those he saved. Probably the most exciting discovery that we can ever make. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 16. I'm entitling this little uh, section, My Church, quoting from Jesus Christ, um, who we'll see was doing some of the talking here. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13 to 20. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. What about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. For this was not revealed to you by man, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you, Peter, you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. The church, the body, uh, church which is Christ's body, and we'll, we'll come to that expression specifically, it is 
specifically mentioned in the New Testament. We'll come to that in a second. But uh, it's a, a wonderful passage of Scripture that declares the purpose of Christ's coming. And it was for him to build his church. There's a, a couple of distinctive things that come out of that passage of Scripture. And some of them are somewhat contentious. One in particular. I just love the expression, my church. And it's, it's his church. It's the, as we'll discover, it's all believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Whatever denomination. They, they come together. They're described as being in Christ, and this is his church, and it's his possession, and something that he has purchased. Um, important point is, he is the builder. I will build my church. It's not something that we do directly ourselves. It's quite a, an important point. In our, in our church, the Church of God in Manchester... Um, maybe we can we're all disciples of the Lord Jesus so we're all in this church which is the body of Christ but it's distinct from the church of God and one of the things about churches of God is it's not something that God is, is building in the same way as he is building the church the body 1 Corinthians 3 verse 10 it's Paul and he says by the grace God has given me I laid a, I laid a foundation as an expert builder and someone else is building on it. But each one should be careful how he builds. We're talking not about planting churches of God, which is the responsibility of us in churches of God. And that happens all over the world. Um, we're talking about something more broad. And the building is done by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. We get that from Matthew 16 that we've already read. The contentious point is that expression, uh, Peter has just declared uh, in answer to Jesus' question, who do you say that I am? He said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Um, incidentally, as a, as a challenge for us all, um, Jesus was asking the audience, who do men, his disciples, who do men say I am? And all those different answers came back. Really challenging question for us. Who do, who do I say Jesus Christ is? And Peter, by revelation from God directly, the Lord Jesus says that, is you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And then Jesus goes on to say, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was revealed to you uh, not by man, but my, by my father in heaven. Uh, important point. We don't work out the truth about the identity of the Lord Jesus by clever logic. It's by divine revelation. Uh, that's what it meant when Jesus said, it's not flesh and blood. It's not your mental facilities that have somehow cleverly worked it out. It's by my Father in heaven. So that's a really important point for us to recognise that we accept who Jesus is by faith and it's by direct revelation. We know in our hearts because God has revealed it to us it's very special because it means we don't have to be somehow smart to work it out. We have to be childlike and come by faith. And it's not blind faith, of course, because what we believe needs to be substantiated by what we observe. And of course, we observe this amazing world around us 
which Jesus claimed to have made. And so we look to him as the one who is divine. And we join, hopefully, we all join with Peter in his declaration, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. I want to leave that challenge hanging if we haven't kind of confronted the issue of who is Jesus, that um, who do you think he is? Who do you say that I am? That was Jesus' question. But Peter makes this declaration. Jesus said, you didn't work that out because you're smart. It was revealed to you by God. And then he says, I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. The Roman Catholic Church um, chooses to interpret that statement as Jesus saying, you're Peter, and on you, Peter, uh, I'm going to build my church. You're going to be the first pope. And... Um, that's the Catholic tradition. And it's uh, so far away from what is actually meant and also what is supported by the rest of Scripture. The Lord Jesus was having a little bit of a, a tinker with, with the words. Remember, Simon Peter's first name was Simon. And then when he became a disciple of the Lord Jesus, Jesus said to him, you're going to be called Peter. And Peter um, means stone, the word means stone or piece of rock and um, the Lord Jesus was saying here you are Peter the, the stone I think the Greek word is Petros but on the Petra different Greek word which means massive rock I'm going to build my church and what was the massive rock the Petra that Jesus was referring to it was the statement that Peter had made. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. That's the foundation of the church that Christ is building. Not the very fallible man, um, Peter. So we need to get rid of that contention. Uh, it's there in a lot of people's minds. It doesn't pass the test of what the words say in the scripture. And it doesn't pass the test of what the rest of scripture says too. Another important point in this, this strange expression um, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. That, that means that Satan, hell, uh, Satan and all that he has power over will have no impact on the church, the body of Christ. It is something that is indestructible and is eternal and although it's the object of Satan's attack, he, he will not prevail against it. Such a, an amazing point. So as we understand who forms this church that Jesus is building, those that form it have a security that means they're indestructible in Christ. Sometimes we call that eternal security. Once we're saved, once we accept the Lord Jesus Christ as our saviour, um, we are saved for all eternity and whatever we might do uh, we can never be um, that salvation can never be withdrawn from us we'll be drawing comparisons over the next few weeks about the church of the body which is our main theme and the church of God which is the church of God in Manchester and one of the things just to point out now is the church of God in Manchester is not indestructible it's um, its continuance is dependent on us fallible people keeping it going. 
And there's so many examples. In fact, all of those first churches of God that were established in the first century, within a hundred years or so, had um, melted away. Thankfully, they were re-established again uh, 140 years or so ago. But the point is, the church, the church of God is not indestructible. The church, the body of Christ, which we're talking about, is indestructible. Last point, another strange expression. Uh, Jesus says to Peter, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Christ was building his church. And we'll, we'll see in a couple of moments that this is a unique, precious truth that had never been seen in the Old Testament scriptures before. It was being brought to life for the first time. And what Jesus was saying to Peter and the rest of the apostles you will have a key and you'll be able to unlock this mystery that has never been declared before. And as you do so in the power of the Holy Spirit, the things that you teach, kind of expression of the things you bind and the things you loose, they will be in perfect harmony with what goes on in heaven. And that's the nature of the truth that the apostles preached about the church, the body of Christ and other things too that they had it specially revealed to them and they were, as it were, given a key that would um, unlock it. And of course, by God's grace and through the enabling of God's Holy Spirit, we now see those precious truths ourselves uh, by faith. Um, my next point is that we, the Church of the Body of Christ is something that makes him complete. That's a very um, sensitive expression because Jesus Christ, Jesus is, is the Christ, the Son of the living God. He is the creator of all that exists. We know that from many, many scriptures too. He is eternal, so existed before time, um, came into time, um, was crucified and died and rose again, and now is, is in heaven. How can such an amazing person in any sense be incomplete if we go to uh, Ephesians 1 as a really powerful verse that perhaps demonstrates the point Ephesians 1 verse 22 says and it's the Apostle Paul speaking and incidentally uh, we'll come to that point in a sec sorry um, it's the Apostle Paul speaking and he says and God placed all things under his feet that's Jesus Christ appointing him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who, full, who fills everything in every way. I mentioned that this is the most amazing truth that we're being confronted with in scripture. And if we can embrace it, it's, um, it's probably the most special thing we'll ever appreciate. And... Without the church, the body of Christ, then the work that, that Christ did in coming and dying for us would have been wasted. And that's the sense in which it makes him complete. It's the fulfillment of God's great plan for mankind. And it's the outcome of what Jesus did at Calvary for us. So there is a sense in which 
as the church, the body of Christ, as Christ builds his church, then so it makes him more complete, if I can put it that way, with reverence, of course. Next point is a mystery previously concealed, now revealed. Touched on this a moment ago. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 2. And I was going to make the point that most, if not all, of this, apart from what the Lord Jesus taught himself, of this truth we learn from the Apostle Paul uh, through his letters. And we get that explicitly stated, really, in Ephesians chapter 3. So verse 2. So this is the Apostle Paul writing a letter to the disciples, members of the Church of God in Ephesus. And he says, Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to men in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit of God's holy apostles and prophets. The mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. So Paul, by his God-given authority as an apostle, was making a declaration that this amazing truth and it's the extension of God's special place for the Jews being extended to non-Jews that's what Gentiles are and Paul is saying Paul who was an avid Jew before he was converted is saying this is by special revelation to me and the other apostles and it changes everything because it means the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel and members together of one body sharers in the great promise it's it's wonderful that there is no in the body of christ there is no favoritism it's it's open to every shade language uh, culture and it's a global church and that was paul's Paul's job, two things, to teach this to the Gentiles and to educate the Jews that the Gentiles were now part of the church as well. Let's get to grips with uh, the term body. It's a very strange expression to call a church collection of people. We know a church is people, not not the building. It's a very strange expression to call the church a body. Let's go to um, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where we read about that. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12. And I'm going to say it's a metaphor. So the body, the idea of a physical body, is used as a metaphor to help us understand what the church that Christ is building is all about. But I'm going to put a bit of a caveat on it because I think it's more than a metaphor. Because when you see how we relate to each other, those of us who are in the body of Christ, it is like a body. 
Uh, and we, we, we don't want to kind of spoil it by saying, well, it's, it's only a metaphor. But here we go. Verse 12 of 1 Corinthians 12. The body is a unit. Paul's talking about the physical body. Though it is made up of many parts. And though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptised by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we are all given the one spirit to drink. Another verse, sorry about all these verses, but another verse from Romans 12. Um, you get a lot of this, te this teaching from 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12, so easy to remember. Romans 12 verse 4, Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. So, first point, uh, this church, which is described as Christ's body, is made up of all people who are deemed in Christ, we'll have a verse about that in a second, and the verse we read in 1 Corinthians described as us being baptised into the body of Christ, baptised into um, one spirit and into one body. And it's kind of, baptism means, as we know, it means total immersion. <laughs> you know, if you like, the water, when someone is dunked in the baptistry, they're they're consumed by the water and I think that's that's the thought here that as we are added to this church by Christ then it kind of consumes it's all consuming we're baptized into it and baptized into the into the spirit a verse of that in a second and thinking about the metaphor of a body it's got many different amazing elements to it and they've all got different functions and um, it wouldn't work if they all had the same function because a, a collection of body parts um, that needs to be in the right proportion and in the right function for the body to, to work. So the second point you have about the church, the body of Christ, and thinking about the metaphor, is that we're all different and we've been called by God and baptised into the body of Christ for a purpose. And the purpose is for us to be the person that God wants us to be, in fact, that God made us to be. And I'm not, I'm not an individual working in isolation, doing my own thing, because I need my brothers and sisters around me with the functions that they fulfil and the gifts that they've been given in order for us together to work effectively as a body. Just a... Um, a little point of encouragement it's very common isn't it for us to think we're rubbish <laughs> and there is a sense in which that's appropriate because when we compare ourselves with Christ well there is no comparison <laughs> someone has said that um, inferiority is what happens when I compare myself to somebody else I think oh they're so much better than me at that stuff and I just feel inferior and depressed and think well you know i can't fulfill a function um 
like they can. But this, the same person said, humility, not inferiority, is what I get when I compare myself with the supreme example, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. If anyone's sitting here thinking, well, I'm a bit rubbish, it's appropriate to think about that humility in comparison with Christ. But don't think that you're somehow disabled from being the person God wants you to be. Because in Christ, and we're a, a new creation, so the sin that spoils our service is gone. But the person that I am that God made is, is able, whatever I think, is able to fulfil the purpose that God made me for. Again, there's many verses that support that that we can't go into. So as we try and embrace this truth, it's Christians, believers in the Lord Jesus, that have been baptised into this body and we're all connected like ligaments are connected and we all have our function to fulfil and we work together to achieve that. And it's a... Um, some of you may have seen the email that David sent out that showed the, um, the sequence of, of teachings that we have on this subject. And we will talk about unity and harmony uh, 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 in some of the other sessions. But I'd just like to make the point that it's about us being connected together and functioning as a body perfectly so that we're all fulfilling what role we have been given. You might ask yourself the question, well, so I'm somehow, as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ here in Manchester, somehow by this amazing truth connected to another brother or sister believer in the Lord Jesus Christ in, I don't know, um, South America or something, in, in what sense am I working alongside them? One of the, the points that's made is when one member hurts... <laughs> then the other feels it. You know, if, if there's someone hurting that I've never met, in what sense do I feel that? Um, Professor Patsavallis, I didn't know he was a Christian until we each declared it. I didn't know he was a member of Christ's body. So he may have been struggling out, just, just oblivious to it. So there is a sense in which um, the church, the body of Christ, is, is kind of hidden unless it's um, declared. Um, but we will come back to that truth because there is a, a very, very precious way in which our being connected together and being united in service and feeling each other's hurt is very real in our circumstances. But we will come to that together. I wanted to give you a verse that just explicitly says who is in Christ because we are in the body of Christ and that beautiful expression, in Christ. It's important that we know how we get to be in Christ. And let's go to Ephesians 1, verse 13. It's so explicit. It says, again, Paul, to people in churches of God, in the church of God in Ephesus, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. So we are included in Christ, brilliant expression, included, not excluded, but included, having heard the word of truth, the gospel, so we've heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, and having believed, 
That's the act of faith, accepting through faith who Jesus is and what he's done for us and thanking him for it. And then it says we are marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. That's the same um, as what we read in 1 Corinthians 12 about being baptised into one spirit. So we receive the Holy Spirit who is our teacher and revealer of all of these things. We need to race on because time has gone. Um, I wanted to talk about uh, Christ being the head of the body. And um, I had my knuckles wrapped when I was a youngster by an eminent um, elder in the churches of God because I think it was a YPM. I drew a, a body, a picture of a body <laughs> with a head and arms and legs and an arrow to the head said Christ. And he said, no, you don't understand. <laughs> um, when it says that Christ is the head, it means that the Lord, the, the governor, the one who is over all. And the body, including the head, is made up of, of believers in the Lord Jesus. And they are subject to Christ as head. Let's go to Colossians 1 and 18, which is... Uh, Actually, actually, Colossians 2 and 19, which is a, an interesting verse. It says, it's about a person who had um, kind of fallen away. He has lost connection with the head from whom the whole body supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews grows as God causes it to grow. And it's talking about someone who's lost connection with Christ. And therefore, his functionality in the body has been somewhat um, uh, disabled. It's first like that, that that makes me think, well, maybe there is room to think of Christ as the head. You know, sinews connected to him. But actually, I, I do think it's, it's more important that we consider Christ to be the head, the uh, authority over the body, not part of the body himself. Because we'll learn in, a, in another ministry that one day this church, the body, is going to be presented to him as his bride. So, um, struggle to see how he then is part of it. Let's just look at one other verse that, uh, that kind of supports the point. Ephesians 1 verse 22. And God placed all things under him under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church which is his body the fullness of him we've already had that verse who fills everything in any way so i think the key point is to recognize the authority the headship let's use that word that christ has over his church i'm sure we'll come back to that point so much more to be said but our our time has well gone i wanted to mention another metaphor that's used about the church the body it describes the church the body of christ as his bride and um, paul again in his letter to the ephesians he starts to talk about how marriages should be it's almost like god invented marriage so that we would have some kind of understanding of what his intentions are for the church which is his body and at this point it becomes uh, an amazing mystery you know in what sense is a husband and wife 
um, uh, somehow a picture of the way all disciples, all, all people who are in Christ, are, in what sense does that illustrate how they're going to have this relationship uh, with God, with the Lord Jesus, in the glory of heaven. Uh, that marriage um, where the bride is presented to Christ, we read about it in Revelation, and it's, um, it's a point in the future. Can't happen now because um, the church, the body of Christ, is incomplete. Uh, it's not going to be complete until the last person believes and then the body, this indestructible body, is uh, complete. I'm going to finish by quoting David, actually, in the email that he said, just in case you haven't, haven't read it, because how does this truth about um, the relationship that we have with our brothers and sisters in Christ, how does it relate to us in the Church of God in Manchester? And in his note, David said, the first three talks in the series will consider the theology and doctrines regarding the church, the body of Christ. The final four talks will consider the outworking or practice of that doctrine in our local setting in Manchester. From Paul's first letter to Corinth, we learn that each localised church of God is characteristically body of Christ. We get that from 1 Corinthians 12 and 27. In other words, we reflect in our local setting the great mystery of the relationship between Christ and the church and the church's purpose in this world. It'll be great to explore it together. So as we try and embrace this um, sublime mystery, the relationship that we have with each other as a consequence of what Christ has done and how that um, is manifest locally in our, in our church and how that we all have a contribution to make working alongside each other and interconnected and our relationship is characterised by, by love and by a, a common purpose. Such a, a brilliant um, subject and I'm sorry not to have done it justice in, in more time than I should have had. I wanted to give you homework though. <laughs> um, psalm 45 is a special psalm and in the in, inscription above it, it says it's a wedding song. I've heard it used several times when, as, as a message from God to a couple who are being married. In consideration of the church, the body of Christ, and it being presented to him as his bride, read Psalm 45 in that context. And it comes to life in a way that perhaps we've never considered before. Some homework.